is your Saturday morning source for everything Huskers. Turn, hand it off to Minner, hit the backfield and drilled. Again, 13's there to make the tackle. Nebraska wins its fifth national championship. Giving you an inside look at everything going on in Husker Nation, this is the KLIN Husker Hour. Strike three called, and the Huskers are the Big Ten Conference champions. Nonsense, got it! Underdog, and then one! Exclamation point! Now your hosts, KLIN contributor Cole Stukenholz and KLIN reporter Matt McMaster. Good Saturday morning. Welcome to another edition, a Super Bowl Sunday weekend edition of the KLIN Husker Hour. We've got a supersized show. We're going to be here for the next two hours. Husker Husker hours? Husker hours? Is that what we're... We have to rebrand the show for the second hour. We got to redo the intro. We got to do everything. I got to call that guy who probably just lives in a basement with his microphone. That's how I... The guy who does all our intros. Here are your hosts. Here are your hosts. That's got to be a good job, right? I mean, I would think it's a good job. Just have a beautiful voice and just kind of sit there. I bet he gets like all the scripts and everything like that and you just say, hey, let's introduce our guest. Another guy with a beautiful voice, another guy with an excellent job is the Omaha World Herald's Evan Bland, who joins us in studio for the first hour here. Evan, welcome. What's up, guys? How you doing? Doing awesome. This is a great weekend. It It is is a great weekend. Yeah, are are you a big Super Bowl like historian, watcher, you love you love all the oh, pageantry, yeah. everything. Yeah, I mean, uh, my wife she'll uh, list out the Super Bowl commercials every year, and we hey. we do a, we do a ranking. Oh, there so you we'll go. Start, I used to do and, that, and it's too. like in real time. So you list them out, and you start moving them up and down based on how you like them. So you can do the the like peek at your Christmas presents thing now. The last few years, they'll put those ads out before. Do you guys do that, or do you hold off until the? Oh, game? that's a great question. No, we hold. We hold. Okay. Off. Okay. And, and then and that's like true to form. Like if there's a. Tra- Trailer of a movie that comes out that we want to see. Sometimes we don't even see the trailer. Sure, I just I don't want I want to be I want to go into it blind, fresh. Yeah, it's gonna be great. Do you watch just at home? Do you go to a party? Are you hosting? Are you out? What, what's your? It varies year to year. We're going to her family's this uh, this year. Okay. So you know you, you got to balance like the social aspect with the like. Hey, hold on, we're, we're recording the commercials here. We have to debate this, <laughs> um, and then we can talk also. But like the th- that's the thing about the Super Bowl is there's no time. To- there's no like downtime. Right. Typically, yeah. it's the commercials. You go away. Right now, now you got to watch the commercials. You can't miss the game. Halftime's compelling. So like, when do you like take a break to socialize sure. or sure. do anything? You're locked in. That's the challenge. It is. I totally agree. The, the breakdown of of when to watch and what to watch and how to watch is always incredible. Real quick, other than the 2015 Denver Broncos and I guess the 90s when they won the Super Bowls, give me your favorite Super Bowl. Uh. You know, the one that always comes to mind for me is when Arizona almost won it. When, sure. When the Steelers beat him. That was a really compelling one. I, I was a Kurt Warner fan, you know, when he was a Ram. And then Who when was he it? was uh, a Cardinal, Larry Fitzgerald. Like, Larry I wish they would have won. What an epic postseason run that Wish they would have won. Well, that, was, that was a fun team, fun Super Bowl. San Antonio Holmes, I think, got drafted on the conjoint Michael and Matt McMaster. Michael, my father. Yeah. Michael and Matt McMaster fantasy football draft for maybe six years just because of that catch. <laughs> Just because I watched that catch, and I was like, Dad, we have to have Santonio Holmes on our team. So we'd always draft him. Super Not a Bowl, joke. Super Bowl forty three MVP Santonio Holmes. What was the Ugh. first? What was the first Super Bowl you guys remember like watching? Ooh. Like the one where you were first like, okay, I'm locked into this thing. I'm watching this game. Well, me, two thousand six Bears Colts. 
There you go. I was kind of Devin I, Hester to my, the house my, first kickoff. I don't have my lock screen. I don't have my phone on me. I don't know where it is. But my lock screen is a picture my father, my brother, and I took in front of our fireplace before the game. Yeah, and we were all in our bear scuff. So I remember it. Yeah, sexy Rexy. Yeah, Rex Grossman. <laughs> hey, Rex Grossman and Aaron Rodgers have been to the same amount of Super Bowls. Don't That's, let anyone forget that. I okay? love it. I love it. Uh, mine would have been, uh, well, I got started a little bit later in my football fandom, uh, late elementary, early middle school, 1998, uh, Green Bay and Denver. Yeah. Yep. And uh, the, the Terrell Davis migraine game and John Elway helicoptering his way into the end zone. Uh, they were big underdogs. The Broncos were that day. Um, so for them to beat Brett Favre like that, that hooked me. Like that was yeah. a, a core memory sure. as a kid. Absolutely. You, know, you talk about like why are you a fan of whatever team you're a fan of. For me, it's nothing more compelling than it just so happened that I was really inspired by that team and stuck with them from there. Hell yeah. First first team, first game that I remember talking about and like watching was the second Bills-Cowboys mm. game. Just like, all right, we're tired of the Cowboys. Let's go, Bills. You that. ever watch Four Falls of Buffalo on ESPN? I still have not gotten around oh to watching it. God. I would imagine it's incredible. Oh, my God. It's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. I actually talked to a Bills fan <sighs> yesterday. I didn't know he was a Bills fan. I, I work with him, and, and he yeah, was telling me about how, oh, yeah, it's Jim Kelly's a legend, and you know Thurman Thomas, Andre Reed, Bruce Smith, and just, and just couldn't get over the hump. What is more impressive, going to four Super Bowls? Or just winning a Super Bowl. On, well, I mean, getting two four, I think is, is more still really I impressive. Think is way more impressive than just winning. So one. Jim Kelly greater than Rex Grossman. He, well, he didn't. Well, win it, he didn't. Rex Jim win. Kelly greater than Aaron Rodgers. I mean, like, well, there's a lot of greater than Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> there's a lot. I mean, there's a I shouldn't long ask a Bears fan that question. list. Long list of people. You know, I. You know, there's some Bears he's one fans. Of, he's one of three there's quarterbacks. Some Bears fans who are softening on Rodgers now that he's in New York. I still hate him the same. I probably can't stand him even more. You know, Good it's just you. you got. Hey, stick true. Once yeah. you're once you're there, you're there. There's no backing off. Yeah, there's no backing off. A couple of guys who were on the sideline for that Broncos Packers game, Evan. Yeah, Mike Shanahan, mm-hmm. Ed McCaffrey. Yeah. Hey, now you got Kyle and Christian trying to get it done. It uh, yeah, it makes you feel old a little bit. <laughs> They're talking about like babysitting. Uh, yeah, that's you know, right for the McCaffreys and that's right, that yeah. sort of thing. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. Is and, there a better player to fit in a better system than that in recent memory? I mean, I'm sure like you mean Christian McCaffrey, Christian McCaffrey, in that and that Kyle Shanahan system. It is just. I I, I don't want to say it's a little because Carolina I think did a pretty good job with with McCaffrey like they didn't hold him back McCaffrey was a superstar before he got traded Mm -hmm. to San Francisco like it wasn't like oh this guy could be good you know but he really wasn't and and then he exploded San Francisco no it worked out but like the way he he just get the motions the moves around but also the running between the tackles especially running between Trent Williams and then also floating him out getting kind of those screens those outside runs I mean just the fluidity in which he I don't mean to like I, I know you're, they're playing your team, but I'm just Christian saying. Christian really good. Watching Nothing him, and I don't think there is a better player for a better system than McCaffrey and Shanahan. It, it's, it's incredible to me. It's almost like you could put any quarterback in that system and just make it work. I always felt like the way I looked at it was when he was at Carolina, like he had to do something really impressive sure. for them to win and compete. And it, at San Francisco, it's like just do what you're supposed to do within right. the, the concept of the offense, and that'll be enough. Like, totally like he still is good, but it just it feels like he doesn't have to be superhuman. It feels natural. 
just feel it's it's just a weird w- word to put, but it just feels like yeah, like it make like when he bursts out for a nineteen yard run or like he gets a screen pass for thirty two yards and he runs out of bounds. Like yeah, that like that was supposed to happen. That was the play design. Like yeah. that's what they were intending to do there. And from an X's and O's perspective, I mean, if if you're looking at this from my perspective as a Chiefs fan. I think if you stop Christian McCaffrey, you probably wouldn't. Like, if, if McCaffrey gets less than 100 yards and the Chiefs don't turn it over, I don't see a scenario where push the 49ers back. win I'll that game. I'll push back. I'll push back because, you know what, and this is and this is exactly why the Niners are favored over the Chiefs. It's you got names on there that can just make plays. you got more guys on there on the, on the Niners team in general on both sides of the ball that can just are big superstar names that can make plays because, you know what, yeah, you contain McCaffrey, that's fine. But what if what if Debo has a big night? Here's you the know? thing. If like you, what if Kittle has a big night? So if, it's like yeah, go ahead. If you take away the run game though, like if Christian McCaffrey is neutralized and you know that Purdy is going to have to drop back. Sure. I mean with that secondary. With the with the blitz packages that Steve Spagnolo prepares, Chris Jones, uh, all uh, good night. It's not gonna sure. happen. Sure. It's the same thing that happened to Jimmy Garoppolo late in the F- Super Bowl four years ago. They had to pass, or they thought they had to pass. I thought, they, I mean, you had Raheem Mostert. Yeah, yeah. You could have just kept running that thing. And they is, didn't. Tevin Coleman. Is that a worry, you Jr. think, Evan, of, of the Shanahan? I mean, twice now we've seen a Kyle Shanahan offense stall in Super Bowls. The first mm-hmm. being 28-3, to 2016, Falcons, Patriots, Shanahan offensive coordinator yep. under Matt Ryan. And now yep. you go to 2020. Is that a concern, you think? Well, is that a, is that a is that a characteristic of him is that something we th- we have to now think of Shanahan I think if they don't win Sunday then he, he suddenly that narrative kind of follows him around sure a bit. especially yeah. if they be, have another come from a head loss yeah yeah I think so and that's the interesting thing about this Niners team is like we still haven't in this postseason we have not seen them play a complete game they they struggled sure. at times against Green Bay obviously they were way down against Detroit before they came back and there were a lot of other circumstances that that aided their uh yeah. their their comeback there but like I think if they can play a full game, I mean, we've seen kind of what the the high end of this team can be, but that's where I think you favor the Chiefs because they've just been, I mean, they figured themselves out in the postseason. What Kelsey's done, obviously Mahomes is Mahomes. The defense has settled in. They've been the most consistent team. I don't know. I think San Fran's maybe the more talented team, but can they put it together for 60 minutes? Well, I think another thing is, and this is a very interesting conversation with the bye weeks, right? Mm -hmm. So Kansas City has played, didn't get a bye. They played three games. Mm -hmm. Now they kind of get this two-week period off. San Francisco, when you think about it, has only played like two games in five weeks or two games. They didn't have their starters out week 18. And they didn't, yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like, is it a bit of an advantage for Kansas City because they've just played more football and they've been able to get their wheels under them a little bit, maybe lack of a better term there. The but. Chiefs had Week 18 off as well because they didn't. Need, they didn't need. They to had do the anything. three seed yeah. locked in, so yeah. they they had a, a buy, if you will, for sure. their starters. Kelsey famously did not play; had 16 yards to go to get a thousand. He decided to take the rest instead. Good Probably move. a good move. Uh, and and then you have the the adversity they've gone through in terms of they basically played a game on Antarctica against the Dolphins, <laughs> negative four degrees, yeah. the fourth coldest game played, ever. But they they played the Dolphins. Okay. If you're going to play a team in that condition, but, any team ever, any t- pick a team to play in that we'll condition. Pick a team from Miami, sure. Yeah, pick it. We, we want Miami there. Yeah. So I don't give you that. For sure. they, they, they've taken the hardest path possible. Well, yeah. They'll play, they will have played four of the top five offenses of the season if they win the Super Bowl to, to get it done. They've played 
the top two seeds in the AFC and will be playing the top seed in the NFC and and all and two on the road, one on neutral site. And and look, I could spend the entire two hours today talking about Patrick Mahomes. Sure. But I think you just don't overthink it when it comes down to it. You have Patrick Mahomes on one team and not on the other team. It it, it comes down to or who do you trust late in the game if it's close? Who do you trust early to get that hot start? Who's going to handle sure. the the elements and, and the adversity and and whatever and, the defenses and, and, throw and at them? The field too. Hopefully, it's not a slip and slide like last year was. So yeah, famously the Eagles played on a completely different field than the Chiefs. They had did. different. They had different. Never mind. <laughs> we won't get into it. Anyway, Evan, <laughs> while we're talking about it, I mean, I I know that Cole and I are going to make our picks at the very end of the show. But when we're talking about the Super Bowl, make your pick right now before we go to break. Uh, my pick before the playoffs was the Niners. I felt like just over the course of a full season, they've been the best team, the most talented team, the most uh, different ways that they can beat you. Sure. Um, I think the Chiefs are the hottest team right now. Like, if I were picking just... Um, I'm, I'm sticking with my pick, I guess is what I'm saying, okay. from the start no. of the playoffs, even though I think the Chiefs at this point are the hotter team. I think the Niners, um, I think they break through. Yeah. I mean, look, they've not been the underdog all season. I mean the 49ers is, it's just a it's just an honor to be on the same field with them I'm sure Kansas Jeez. City feels. Jeez. You know there's there's nothing worse than the new dynasty in the NFL playing the underdog card. I mean it's just you know okay okay man cool. They are literally the, the yeah, betting underdog yeah, for the third they straight shouldn't game. Be. They shouldn't be. I won't argue with you. They shouldn't be. But they're going to use it. They shouldn't be. They're going to use it. They've used anything and everything and Kelsey and, proposes or no? No. Uh, no. Too early. Yeah. Everything about their relationship has been more more on the private side. They're not going to do that publicly. <laughs> this isn't the 04 Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> no, he's asked about it all the time, and he he deferred. Hey, did you just it's say like, no? We're not going to do their that. Their relationship has been private. Uh, come on now. Come as on. Private as the two come most on. famous people, the most famous couple in the world can. Fair be. enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. They're not making it all about this anyway. We're going to get to uh, some Husker talk, actually. Here we come. Uh, We got Matt Rule talk. We got Big Ten coaching moves talk. Recruiting. We got our Super Sixes to get to. uh, And Evan Bland covers Husker baseball. That season is coming up. Excited for that combo. Real quick. And Evan's going to run down who we should be watching for with Husker baseball as well. That is all coming up on a two-hour supersized Super Bowl edition of KLI and Husker Hour. More after this. with current and former Huskers and those that cover the Big Red. This is the KLIN Husker Hour on Lincoln's Husker Radio, 1499.3 KLIN. All right, always a, a good in-between segments conversation that you guys get some of after we come back from break. Uh, we've got Evan Bland in studio, writes all things Huskers, for the Omaha World Herald, and uh, he's uh, he's here to help us break down. We got we had OG Super, uh, o, not OG Super Six, OG Recruiting Signing Day earlier this week. We've got Super Sixes to get to. Uh, I want to start with Matt Rule's press conference, Evan. Hey, yeah, you were there. Uh, he he does what he does in those press conferences. He he answers questions to a certain extent, and then he just kind of finesses other stuff in there uh, mm-hmm. that he wants to make sure get across. Uh, what were your big top-line takeaways from Matt Rule? 
Yeah, it was good as always. I mean, 36 minutes on signing day when really, I mean, we hadn't talked to him in I don't know, five weeks since since the December signing day. So we could talk about the transfers. Hadn't been able to do that yep. with five yeah. of those guys. Kuna Will Height, that was the reason the, the presser was pushed back so he could make his announcement. Uh, he, I, he backed I was gonna, off. I was nice little telegraphing of that. Yeah, well, get the Keith Man uh, email the day before. Hey, by the way, we're gonna move this back. Oh, when's Keona Wilhite's? Oh, okay, that's interesting. Right, I was a little, yeah. I was a little annoyed. Clearly, Keith wasn't looking at my class schedule. No, I had he was a lab during. He was that, not apparently. So I, was, I was not in, watching and, from home. You know, and, and two days or you know a few days later, it, it validates uh, Wilhite's decision. He had been leaning UCLA, and now is uh, the guy who would have been his head coach is gonna be the OC at Ohio State. What so a turn. So there was that. Um, but I, you know, I thought there were a number of interesting nuggets in there. He talked about. The quarterback situation and moving forward with three scholarship guys, yeah, all being really young. You know, a year ago Heinrich Harburg was not really part of the quarterback conversation. It, he was behind Jeff Sims and Casey Thompson and Chubba Purdy. Um, so you got him. You got two early and early freshmen. They're like, yeah, these are our guys. We're moving forward. We're all in with these guys, getting them reps. He didn't close the door on kicking the tires in the portal with a quarterback when it opens up again in late April. But I thought that was interesting. I thought what he said about the culture being set was interesting. Yeah. Um, guys know what to expect, especially with these infamous mat drills and, and just the things they ask of them physically. Um, guys know, and it makes a difference. And like you don't have to put as much effort toward acclimating them to what the standard is, and you can kind of move on with the other stuff and build on that. So you know, those were a couple things. Um, a lot of interesting stuff about like Jamal Banks is sort of a, tra- a, a, yeah. a trendsetter, um, culture keeper, if you will, with what he's done off the field. Um, but yeah, a, a lot of interesting stuff. This it's so interesting because like the next month and a half until spring ball starts in late March, there's not a lot publicly that we can that's that's new that we can go on. But like this is a really formative time for the team as they figure out who their leaders are, who embraces adversity, that sort of thing. I think what another interesting nugget he kind of dropped there was the fact that he was like, well, yeah, I went and talked to Ashkin Hausman. You know, I went and visited him and talked to him about how, you know, last year was so tough because they never knew what to expect. Ashkin Hausman was a special teams guy, was was like didn't really play defense or off anything like wasn't really a key contributor. And I don't even think was on scholarship. I think he was a walk on Nebraska Mm -hmm. guy. And the fact that. He says, "All right, I'm done. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not going to play football anymore." And Rule goes and visits him and sits down with him and talks to him about, "Hey, about what you think this and that." I mean, I think that spoke a lot. And I think we, people who've been around Rule as much as you have, Evan, and, and just going to the press conferences and, and what we hear, we already know that he is a, a, a regarded as a really good guy. But the fact that he's going out of his way to talk to some of these dudes who aren't the superstars, who aren't the top guys, who aren't the five star recruits, they're just walk-ons who really care about the program. The fact that he's going out of his way to talk to these guys and have relation and keep those relationships with those guys, I think it spoke a lot to who he is as a coach. And I think that it's part of the reason why they did really well. I mean, this they did they have a good recruiting class this year. And I think what's so interesting about this recruiting class is their ability to pull guys from so many different places. They got a guy from Hawaii. They got a guy from Georgia. They got a guy from Montana. They got a guy from North Carolina. They got a guy from Pennsylvania. They went all the way to Florida. They went. They got a lot of guys from Miami. I think that just they're recruiting, and it's and I'll say pitch, and and they don't like it when we use the word pitch. But their recruiting tool isn't a hey you're going to come here and you're going to play a lot and you're going to be great and we're going to win national championship. It, it's a very culture based pitch. And I think that it resonates with 
a lot of people regardless of what the state lines are, which is a really difficult thing to manage in recruiting. And so that was one of the things I took away from that press conference for sure. I mean, he's a new age coach. Like he, he is. He's, he's a guy like it's no coincidence when you look at the, the portal turnover, like Nebraska's is really low, relatively mm-hmm. speaking, in the Big Ten. And, uh, you know, I, I spoke with Ethan Piper, uh, sort of an exit interview a week or so ago. And that was one thing that he pointed out was like, man, the one thing about Rule is he's going to give us, he's, he's as concerned about the practice habits and the well-being of the freshman walk-on as he is Ty Robinson or whoever your star upperclassman is. And he's like, players, especially today, when you've gone through the recruiting process, most of these guys have gone through it for years. And (laughs) you've, you've you've heard how many pitches from how many coaches at how many schools, and their BS meter is... Sure. Pretty well tuned. Yeah. Like they know when a guy's being authentic and when a guy isn't. And that's one of Matt Rule's superpowers, quite honestly, is his ability to connect, to genuinely care. And I think, you know, family picks up on that. Players pick up on that. You think about last year when he, on a whim, said, hey, you know, I'm going to go down and coach the, the scout team. I think it was scout team defense. I'm going to scout, I'm going I'm to coach those guys because I want to because I'm a head coach and, you know, I, I I can do some coaching, and I want to relate to these guys yeah. and see what's going on. Like that makes a difference, and I do think like those qualities play a lot more now today in the wild west of college football, even than they would have five years ago. Real quick, you say that scout team defense <coughs> coaches them. One day he looks at James Williams and says, "Wow, this guy can really lower his shoulder and like get around the tackle on the outside." Heck, let's make a package for him. How do you think those guys felt? on the scout team defense when they saw James <laughs> Williams, who once was scout team, right? And all of a sudden, he's getting sacks against Northwestern. All of a sudden, he's getting sacks against Purdue. He's getting drawn up packages. A guy who wasn't even dressing a couple weeks before is now making impact plays, and we're talking about him over the airwaves. And that's just because Rule was like, yeah, I want to I want to coach the scout team defense. And then even more so, he looks at the guy and he goes, why aren't we playing this kid? Why, 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 aren't we, why aren't we giving him an opportunity? I think, I mean... He he's he's building a culture, and I think you can tell that in every facet when he talks, and I think that's a really important thing. Chatting with Evan Bland from the Omaha World Herald, joining us here in studio on the Husker Hour, uh, two hour edition of the Husker Hour. So stick with us through eleven o'clock today, uh, Evan. It was not a mystery. We thought maybe we would you know get the question, and certainly we did about who's calling plays mm-hmm. on offense. Uh, you have the hiring of Glenn Thomas uh, that was announced uh, between. The first signing day and the second signing day, and Rule mints no words. I mean, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, Satterfield's calling the plays, and yeah, I consider him the offensive coordinator. Obviously, Thomas has the co-OC title in his, uh, in his, in his, uh, on his door. What, what did you take away from that answer and, and just, you know, the way that Matt Rule handles these types of questions and, and just, you know, here it is. Go for it. Yeah, he was emphatic about it. I think is the best way to put it. Yeah. Like uh, he was, he was very clear. He's like, I've said it before. I'm saying it again. Marcus Satterfield will be calling the plays. You know, often these times these uh, co OC titles are more, um, you know, salary based. Like you can justify paying somebody X amount if they have that in their title. And I don't believe we know yet what Glenn Thomas's salary at Nebraska is, but I think that'll have something to do with it. Sure. And then he kind of broke down how it's going to go a little bit. He said, you know, Satterfield's going to call the plays. Glenn Thomas will be intimately involved in the play design. And then he even kind of threw in Donovan Raiola, the offensive line coaches, continues as sort of the de facto run game coordinator. So that's kind of how that lays out. But like, 
I thought what he also said about just the structure of the staff um, was really interesting. I mean, he mentioned Satterfield as an aggressive personality. And he said, you know, when you're coaching quarterbacks, sometimes you kind of need to ease off of that a little bit and be more cerebral or go a different route. He said, I think Satterfield's aggression is going to play really well in the tight ends room. Mm-hmm. And then you bring in Thomas, uh, who who that that's what he's going to do is communicate with the quarterbacks. So when they come off the field on a, on a game day, Rule doesn't have to worry about it. He can if he wants, but he doesn't have to. Satterfield doesn't have to concern himself with talking to those guys directly. If he doesn't want to, he can look at the next play uh, series and play calls. And so it, it really felt to me like Rule was setting up his staff for success more based on their their individual strengths. Um, and, and I think it was a reminder, again, that last year was what it was. That wasn't their original intention, though. They, yeah. They, yeah. They, they did not intend for Marcus Satterfield to be the quarterback's coach. It worked out that way, and now they're changing it. And I think this is they feel like it's, it's going to suit their staff better. And another thing that I know we've talked about a lot through last football season, it was not probably the system that Satterfield would have run had he had a Dylan Riola-type sure. talent last year either that's another thing to keep in mind when folks are like well Satterfield's still calling plays I mean do we like what we saw last year this is going to be a little bit different I would think to match the skill set that he's got now how about I mean the the line that the rule had in the presser too saying you know when teams run double unders they they get they throw touchdown passes he was that was a reference to the Maryland game and like but like the bigger point I think was you have to have guys that can execute the play calls and I think they do. They they addressed the quarterback position with you know with with uh, with some fanfare in the off season. They have you look at some of the the incoming players they have at receiver with Nayor and and Banks and I think Jacory Barney is a freshman is somebody who could who could pop. So like they addressed some of these positions um, to the point to where I think kind of there was a subtle commentary there of you know maybe there were times last year where we as coaches were uh, criticized for some calls. Like I think maybe some of that goes away with the the upgrade in talent and the continuity that they have coming in. I I Evan totally agree. That's kind of where I, I I took it away because mm. you know they inherited the roster and the and the roster wasn't maybe as talented as you know it's not theirs. It wasn't their roster. They didn't recruit any of those guys. They might have recruited some guys to stay, but they didn't. None of those guys are really their guys. And like yeah, that was a at some point players got to make plays and we because how many times Evan. In a press conference, did he or Satterfield or a coach stand up there and say, "Well, I got to coach better. Or we got to coach this better. We got to sure. do this better." Which, yeah, that's that's great to deflect blame, and 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 they are going to do that, and they're always going to do that. And I would think any fan of a team would want them to continue to do that. But there were times, and I am sure you felt the same way, where they said, "Well, we got to coach this better." And I kind of stood, sat there, and I was like, "Do you? Like, do you got to coach better?" Because I feel like. How can like like he threw it right to the guy like he threw it right to the safety? I don't know like where where the coaching comes into that, but yeah, uh, I, I think it was a really interesting press conference. I think there was a lot of interesting the Nuggets man, just the little seeds that he that he drops here and there. Like that was one of them where it's mm-hmm. like team score on that. Like got to make that play. When I think it comes to Satterfield though, I honestly I gave him a lot of credit for the for the adversity that he had to go through with all the injuries that he had and then I I think it was Amy Jusk who asked Sat maybe in week 8 or 9 like is this the offense you anticipated having in week 1 when you had Marcus Washington, when you had Isaiah Garcia Cascaneda, when you had Ramirez and you had Gabe Irvin like was this was this 
you know, situation what you thought you had? And he goes, no, no, I thought we'd be different. And so it, it was interesting to see Rule kind of stand on all 10 toes and be like, Sat's the guy, and that's how we're going to do it. Were there any other nuggets that he dropped that, that you liked, Evan? Uh, yeah, I mean, I thought the on, I'm not usually like a a walk on um, yeah guy, that was but a like, good one. but like I thought you know what he said about there could be three or four guys that end up starting out of that class is interesting. The something I want to report more on and get more into in the coming weeks is the the creative way in which they are going about roster yeah. management because forever the discussion is how do you get to the 85 and i think that's sort of the default thing but like if you look and and when nebraska released its list of uh additions to this class for the first time ever they did not differentiate between scholarship and walk-on and i think a lot of that's reflective of the blurring lines of nil mm-hmm. and what is it what does it really mean to be a walk-on now i think it's different because sure. six years ago you're a walk-on that means you're paying a full ride i mean you're, you're paying you're paying your way yeah. and now uh there can be these uh, kind of agreements uh that, that there's going to be some help through the nil challenge uh, uh channels and so like Camir Prescott is a great example yeah. of that, who was, uh, commits on signing day from Philadelphia. A lot of connections to the staff. They can vet him well because they're from that area. He was a commit to Wisconsin for months and months, I believe, as a scholarship player. Decommits in December uh, and then ends up at Nebraska as a walk-on. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can bet that like he's not gonna. This is not a walk on of like six or seven years ago. So like their ability to be creative with that, and maybe he'll be on scholarship in a year. Who knows? But their ability to 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 find quality depth to bring in and and add to that roster, even when it looks like the numbers are at their max, I think was one of the really interesting parts about this first full class under Matt Rule. I don't know about you guys. I want to see a breakdown. This guy's got a scholarship. This guy's getting yeah, X yeah. amount from well, NIL. The, this guy's uh, walking on in-state tuition, out-of-state tuition. The I, exact <laughs> quote, and I laughed when I heard it. He goes, everyone's coming up to me like worrying about the scholarship thing. He goes, guys, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's exactly what he said. I was like, alright, coach, alright. We we'll stop asking about it then. So yeah. Yeah. Leave that to the, the websites and the papers to, yeah. to try to figure you know, out. <laughs> leave it to the guy who's getting paid $8 million a well, year you know, you know, yeah. to, to, to figure it as out. As long as he's in compliance, I mean, who really cares, right? <laughs> All right, uh, we got a lot more to get to. We are going to talk about some of these prospects uh, who signed. Most of them you know, signed back in December, but a couple maybe uh, here from OG Signing Day this week. We've got our Super Sixes. And we're going to talk a lot of baseball as well when we come back with Evan Bland. Uh, Next hour, we will have a lot of hoops uh, hoops talk. Jacob Bigelow will be in studio with us. Uh, So a lot more to get to on this two-hour edition of the Husker Hours. More after this. Your Saturday morning source for everything Huskers is right here. You're listening to the KLIN Husker Hour on Lincoln's Husker Radio, 1499.3 KLIN. We got Matt McMaster over there. Hey, Evan Bland over there too. Hey, and Cole Stukenholtz right here on a Super Bowl Sunday weekend edition of the KLI and Husker Hour, taking you to eleven o'clock this morning, a two-hour show uh, with Jacob Bigelow. In next hour, a lot of hoops talk. Next hour, got a big women's game tomorrow too with the the hottest ticket or, in town, the lover or hater, Caitlin Clark coming to Lincoln. So uh, lots more. Uh, stick with us here for a couple hours this morning. Uh, I want to talk recruiting. I want to talk Super Sixes. 
and instant impact guys, uh, people who can make a difference on this 2024 team. I know that most of these guys have signed already, and you know that some of the transfers who Matt Rule couldn't talk about was able to talk about. And a lot of the guys that are coming in for this 2024 class are already here, too. Like, they're taking Mm -hmm. part in the winter conditioning and the mat drills, and then they'll be in for spring football, too. Who are some of the guys not named Dylan Riola that you've got your eye on? And, And we'll get to our Super Sixes here at the end of the segment as well. Well, I mean, I think this class in general ultimately is going to be defined by the offensive line for Cruz that they brought in. Like, I think, mm-hmm. you know, Grant Bricks and Preston Tamua and Landon Davidson and Gibson Pyle, um, even guys like Xander Ruggioli, who's technically a walk-on, I yep. think could be really good. So, He's a like, three-star from Vegas, right, Ruggioli? Right. Yeah, that was a great pick. So, like, I, you're not going to see m- most of those guys, maybe any of those guys, next year. But I think in 25, when that line turns over, they're absolutely going to be in the mix. So I think long-term, that's a position I look at. You look at the depth You'll have defensive backs. <clears throat> You'll probably see uh, a handful of those guys pop right away. You know, including a guy like Camir Prescott potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're talking about just you know quicker impact, I think we saw last year um, that you can you can do that at receiver. I think a guy like Jacory Barney, who I mentioned earlier, is somebody who could come in. Uh, and, and his stats in out of Miami were not overly flashy because he played some quarterback and he played some defensive back and did kind of what he needed to do. But get, like guys like that. And, and like Cam Taylor Britt from a few years ago is another example of that, who played yeah. all over the place, came in to college, then locked in at one position, but he understood more holistically kind of what was going on within the scheme. Those guys tend to, to, to pop earlier because they don't have that learning curve as much. So that's a guy, because of that, that I kind of look at. He's got the speed. Um, and everything else, uh, I think Dante Dowdell, you know, who's the who's, who's technically not a freshman, but he's might as well be. You know, he appeared in six games last year with Oregon. That to me, he's a guy way up on the list. I mean, you got to go back to Devino Zigbo in 2018, the last time Nebraska had a feature back, a guy that they felt like you, you could hand the ball off to consistently, and he would produce. And even he didn't, even back then, didn't uh, start the year in that role. But I think Dowdell is a as a top ten national prospect at that position in the twenty three class. Uh, you look at his film, and he's a big guy, has yeah. some speed, can catch the ball. Um, you know, and the fact that Matt Rule said in December that hey, they don't have to add a running back. They could they could have pushed hard for a twenty five guy, but that they made room for him, and that circumstances all played out in such a way that he was able to get to Nebraska. I think he's somebody else. Um, when you couple that with the injuries that Gabe Irvin and Ramir Johnson are coming off of, it's, he has a huge chance this spring, I think, to show what he can do and to uh, entrench himself in a prominent role. My Super 6. I got the two blue-chip offensive linemen, Preston Tomloa and Grant Bricks. Uh, I yep. totally agree with you, Evan. I think this is what the class is going to be defined as. But they they don't, luckily for them, they don't really need to play those guys right. this first year, which I think... Some of the guys in the past kind of fell victim to. I think Corcoran, you know, fell victim to that. I think that Prohaska fell victim to that of immediately having to play. Luckily enough for them, they don't have to do that because they have so much. I wouldn't say depth, but they just have an old line now, and they got guys who have been doing this for a couple of seasons. Um, I have Danny Kalen. Mm-hmm. I think it's so important that they got, especially in this day and age, they got a quarterback 
that not only is as talented as Danny Kalen is, but someone who likes Nebraska or loves Nebraska as much as Danny Kalen and the Kalen family does. They had so many different opportunities to move on, so many different opportunities to not come to Nebraska. Everything, honestly, every reason that any prospect of a quarterback variety had been given to not go to a school for whatever reason, Kalen had, and he decided not to take it. So I think in this day and age in the transfer portal to have as talented as a guy as they have in Danny Kalen and just have him around, have him develop, and isn't a guy that isn't going to be a lot of pressure and won't be put on him right away, I think is really important. I've watched Roger Gradney and Ja'Cory Barney's tape. It's hard to deny the, the guy's talent, the guy's measurables, both of them I think will have impacts. Here's one dude, though, that I want to just take a, a quick deeper dive. So I got Bricks, Tomoa, Barney, Kalen, and Gradney are five. Here's my sixth. Caleb Benning mm-hmm. is the opposite of any sort of prospect or any sort of recruiting that this staff has done. And what I mean by that is this staff is known for the measurables. They love a, a player's measurables, right? The, the It's not necessarily like, what what's your film? It's, okay, if you're an athlete, we'll teach you how to play football. We just want athletes. I mean, that that's just what they do. I mean, like, they want yeah. the height. They want the attributes. Caleb Benning doesn't have that. Caleb Benning's 5'10". He's an 180 pounds. He's not a, a physically dominating human. He's a fast guy. Don't get me wrong. He's not slow. But he's just not that type of insane athlete that this recruiting staff looks for. At the same time, he was the best player in Omaha. And he was the best player in Nebraska. High school football last year, arguably. I mean at the he, level they played. I mean Carter level. Nelson you could argue too, but playing sure. eight man. But he is an animal. He is dominant. You watch that film and he he plays with a ferocity and just like this I don't know, you just watch him play and it's like, yeah, that's football. Caleb Benning's a football player. And so I think he's so interesting because he's not that super attribute talented dot guy that this staff wants. Right? He's just a dude that you watch his tape. You can't deny him. You can't deny the football player he is. Yeah, my, my six, I'll just run them down. Uh, my, maybe some of the same ones that you had. I have Dylan Raiola, obviously. Uh, I have Caleb Benning in there, too. I, the football instincts, it's, I think, are it's off the so charts. It's so natural. It's so natural to him. And, and he, you know, played at a great program in yes. the state, and and obviously having uh, his dad be a former player as well. You know that the, there's a lot there that that just feeds right into being a guy at Nebraska Miller for percent. you know making an impact. I have Carter Nelson, I have Mario Buford, I have Dante Dowdell, and Vincent Shavers. I, I don't I don't feel like we're we're maybe looking enough at that. We we will see a big changeover at the linebacker position. This season, you've had Nick Henrich and Luke Reimer for a while. Yeah. And now you turn the page. Does Vincent Shavers make an instant impact a la like a Prince Will or a Cam Lenhart? I don't know, but I think he's got all the tools to be able to do that. Uh, and then my sleeper, I, I like one of the guys on the offensive line that's not getting as much pub, and that's Gibson Pyle. Like that. Out of Texas. Yep. They they really recruited Texas hard. Uh, getting back in that state has been an important piece of the the puzzle for Matt Rule and staff in the recruiting game. Uh, and I think Pyle is a long term guy who who can really make an impact on the line. Hmm. Evan, Real, yeah, oh, yeah. Sorry, you, you, Real quick, yeah. Eight guys from Nebraska. Yep. The second most populated state they grabbed from was Texas with five, mm-hmm. but Florida with five as well. Yeah. So two states who are massive mm-hmm. in talent. That was the big push from. right by that first signing day, right? It was they Evan got, Cooper. Florida it, it, guys from Miami. All of a sudden, Cooper. And Philip Simpson. Yeah, they both started making calls, and they just got these Miami guys. Yeah. 
Yeah, Evan? We'll see. Uh, yeah, I mean, Rayola, I had it number one as well. Yep. Talked about Dowdell. Carter Nelson uh, and just his his measurables and I mean he had forty plus FBS offers from all the top schools. I also I think I was as high on Caleb Benning as anyone in the Super Six that that uh, two four seven Sports compiled for a lot of the reasons that you guys put out there. I mean he was just productive. He yeah, just, he just did it. And there's so many pathways I think for him to be be productive at Nebraska, whether yeah. that's uh, you know as a rover or a safety. I mean, he was, of course, a standout wide receiver, and, and you know how Nebraska's always looking to experiment with guys in different spots, so you never know. His pedigree, everyone knows who his parents are as, as former uh, standout athletes, so he's got that going for him as well. I had Gibson Pyle on there, too. He was at the All-American Bowl yep. uh, and, and was somebody that they got the commitment for early. His recruitment blew up, but he stuck with Nebraska. And then I had Micah Mazuka at six, who was I still think is the most fortuitous uh, kind of out of nowhere portal ad that Nebraska's sure. had, sure. Um, just because he was gonna, you know, he didn't even visit this time around. He 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 visited last year uh, as a Baylor transfer, chose to go to Florida, regretted it. I, I spoke with his dad. He he regretted his decision, and now he comes to Nebraska this time around. Oh, by the way, they have two open spots at guard where he's been a starter at the Power Five level for the last two years. So, like, I think even though his his eligibility clock's a lot shorter. His uh, potential for impact is higher, and then I had Barney as the as my sleeper, and I spoke on him too. I think what I part of the conversation with the Super Six that I think is interesting is what do you value, and I think in, especially in this current climate, like one thing I value more is is guys that are local, guys that are are less likely to transfer. Yep, uh, and I think it's guys who are self motivated, guys who um, have that have had that support growing up, who have who've shown that work ethic. Um, you know, I, I, that's been just kind of something that I, I try to to identify. Uh, Garrett Nelson, a few years ago, I, yeah. I was as high on him as anyone, just because of his fire and like commitment to it. He wasn't the most talented kid, the most highly recruited, but like I think, that especially now, like there's you knew just, he wasn't transferring, yeah. right? Right, and he he, right. Was, he had the drive to get better, yes. and he wasn't the best right out of high school, yeah. but he was going to get better. And I, and I feel like that those traits, as much as physical ability as a senior in high school are what you look at when you try to project. Yeah. I used to roll my eyes at the people who were like, we want the guys, you know, like the fans who'd be like, we want the guys who know what the end means. You know, we, we want the guys who want to wear the end. We want, we, and I used to roll my eyes at it, but that is a legitimate thing. Like there are people and there are recruits, especially, you know, obviously the ones in Nebraska who may not be the most talented, Reimer, Henrich, Nelson, and who aren't these, these, you know, five-star, four-star prospects, but they want to play for Nebraska. They want to be on the field. They want to wear that jersey. They want to wear the helmet. They want to tell their parents and their kids and their grandkids and you know and their grandparents. They want to tell them, yeah, I, I played Nebraska football. And I think that is, a once again, just roll my eyes at it, but it is a legitimate thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, a very interesting conversation just surrounding all of the aspects of recruiting. It's, um, yeah. And, and yeah, the, the strategy behind the Super Six. My top four are all family ties or in-state kids. You, yeah. you, you want those. Yeah. You, you want that staying power. All right. Baseball. Season's coming up fast. We want to talk to Evan about it. Who are some of the guys who are going to do more of what they did last year? And, and who are some of the newcomers that we should pay attention to as well? We've got that coming up. And uh, softball started off in, in a scare for Husker softball Rough. right off Rough. the bat. We're going to talk about that when we come back as well. Lots more here on a two-hour edition of the KLI and Husker Hour. Giving you 
an inside look at everything Huskers. This is the KLIN Husker Hour on 1499.3 KLIN. Rolling along here on your Saturday morning. It's the KLIN Husker Hour here on 1499.3 KLIN. We've got Evan Bland in studio. Look at this. We've got Caleb Henry in studio. <laughs> K-Lion sports director himself, former co-host of this program. How's it going, boys? Wow, we got a full house. We do. This is a four-man show. I guess when you're the program director of K-Lion, you can just roll out of bed and grab a microphone. You're on the, uh, you're on the show and That's ready to go. That's what I do every other day of the week. So. <laughs> <laughs> There's no questions asked. Yeah, well, we, we got baseball to talk about. Uh, the season is coming up really quickly and and I want to I mean obviously the the main guys who are returning uh for Nebraska you've got Dylan Carey, Josh Karen, Gabe Swanson, those are some names to know. Drew Christo seems poised to take the next step on the mound. Uh had a, a big off season in Alaska uh up there in that league. Uh, Evan, I want you to give me a couple of guys who Nebraska fans don't know who you think Will Bolt is pretty high on and and who you think may be making a pretty quick impact here on the Diamond. Well, that's kind of the theme again. I mean, it's the third third year in a row. They've turned over more than half the roster. So you do go into the year with some unknowns. You know, I'll give you a few offensively. And, and here's a guy who was on the team last year, but he didn't play because he was hurt, Caden Brumbaugh. Mm-hmm. And that was somebody who was set to be a big part of the offense last year, uh, sort of in an outfield, middle infield sort of role. I think he's probably going to be your second baseman. He was originally an Oklahoma State transfer. And they, they love what he can do. I think he's someone you'll see a lot of at second base. Um, you know, Riley Silva is a junior college transfer who, if you saw him at all in fall ball, uh, he's got game-changing speed. Like, he's going to lay down bunts and put pressure on defenses and steal bases and cover a ton of ground in center field. So he's somebody who's, who's sort of Casey Burnham 2.0. He was, you know, yeah, Burnham was the guy like there that. last year. I like that pool. So he's back. And then uh, Josh Overbeek is a, is probably the guy that you'll see the most at third base. A really interesting uh, kid who I believe uh, had started off as a D1 prospect or player. Uh, I think it was a pit. And then he went to Juco and now he's at Nebraska. He's a switch hitter, which they haven't had a lot of those over the years. And they, do they like what he can do? So, so offensively, that's where I would start. And honestly, when it comes to pitching, I think you, you just point to a lot of bullpen pieces. And it's it, that particular part of the team has turned over a ton in the offseason. Uh, Kyle Perry was is back. He, he had some, some high leverage uh, opportunities. Drew Christo was back there. He's, he's going to start now. So other than that, like it's it's a total turnover in terms of like the guys that you feel good about. So Casey Dice could be the closer. He's he's transferred in. Rand Sanders is a Grand Island kid who was at Omaha last year. Yeah, Omaha transfer. Uh, Evan Borst is someone else. Like uh, Trey Fromm, who was on the team last year, former Nebraska Gatorade High School Player of the Year. He he was a JUCO kid who was hurt at Nebraska last year. He's back throwing low to mid nineties. So I think that's one of the most interesting things to me is like how does the bullpen come together and how much deeper maybe can it be than last year? On the offensive side, last year was so much boomer bust. It was either you got a bunch of runs or you were struggling to get one or two, if that. And it seemed like when you'd struggle to get one or two, that's at the same time that you would have a bad pitching day as well. Mm. So everything just kind of built on itself. But you had record home runs for Max Anderson and Bryce Matthews as a, as a duo. Where. How do you replace, like, what, what is the offense going to look like? Is it still going to be boom or bust? If it is, who's, who, is it just Gabe Swanson trying to hit a whole bunch? Or, or how do you balance out a little bit more of those runs consistently? 
Yeah, I mean, I, it's constructed. The lineup is constructed in such a way that the coaches don't want it to be the way that it was last year. So, no, I don't think Nebraska <laughs> is going to approach the school record 97 home runs that they hit last year. I think it's going to be considerably less than that. But I do think it'll be a little bit more versatile and dynamic. And and that was kind of their thing is like, okay, if you're not hitting home runs, how are you, how are you generating offense? And, and I mentioned Riley Silva. I think he's a guy that can push the envelope. They have a lot more uh, high contact guys. They want to they want to be a hit and run type of team, so they're going to hit some home runs. Gabe Swanson, uh, people probably don't know he's he's the top returning home run hitter in the Big Ten. Gabe mm-hmm. Swanson. Oh, and, wow. and people forget about that because he was of what right there from, from Bryson Max. Yeah, when you were looking at where those duos had hit home runs, and then you started to look at three guys on a team hitting home runs. Yeah. It's like. Oh, Gabe Swanson was immediately in that conversation. He produced at a level similar, if not a little better, than what Scott Schreiber did at Nebraska a handful of years ago. Mm-hmm. Schreiber was, you know, one of the best power hitters Nebraska's had in the last decade plus. And Swanson gets forgotten because of what Max Anderson and Bryce <laughs> Matthews did. And that's you know, that's just because of how good those guys were up the middle. So they still have some guys like that. Garrett Anglum was the hottest hitter out of the gate for Nebraska last year. He had a hamstring injury, didn't really fully come back from that. Um, you know, you mentioned Dylan Carey. He had an outstanding summer and fall. So, like, they have guys who you can plausibly say, yeah, they're going to take a step forward. Ben Columbus is kind of the number two uh, catcher. Ty Stone um, is a, a first base transfer from Iowa Western, has some power. So, like, and, and I wrote this uh, a couple weeks ago. Like, I still think the thing about this team is it has to have the depth. Like, the star power figures itself out. And they had the star power last year, and they didn't have the depth, and look what it got them. They were out of the at-large conversation in early April. But, like, if you have that depth, like, one through players, one through 20 on the roster, Nebraska is always good at. But players 21 through 35, like, if you can shore that up, and I think they have, that's when you start winning those midweek games. That's when you're more consistent. That's when you're you're in that conversation as an at-large team into May. Quick question, then we got to hit a break. I think the biggest addition this year was Rob Childress coming in as as the pitching coach. Uh, how big of an impact do you think he's going to have on kind of shoring up this depth at the uh, pitching position? Yeah, it's it's one of the major storylines of the season. I mean, Christo at the top is a great example. Christo was a top 100 prospect, has all the stuff, all the intangibles as a leader. The thing that's that's held him back for two years has been the command and yeah. and the walks and some hit batters and things of that nature. What Childress has built his reputation on is simplifying delivery, being repeatable in what you do. And if you can do that, you know, attacking the strike zone, then your stuff sort of comes out and 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 you can go from there. And so, like, Christo, I'll be really fascinated to see what jump he makes under Childress as an sure. on-field guy. They, they added a number of players, pitchers, who were high swing and miss guys who also maybe were Guys who struggled with their command, guys like uh, Grant Clevenger was a was a transfer they brought in specifically because they liked his stuff. But if you look at his his walk rate, it's really high. So like they feel like if they can get that down, this is a potential breakout type of player. And so I think that's part of the depth conversation too. Is you have a handful of guys that you like, Will Walsh, Garrett uh, Jackson, Brockett are two other guys who who have produced for Nebraska before, Cal Perry. But if you can help those guys take the next step with just from a stuff perspective. Then suddenly you've got midweek options, you've got bullpen depth. And so, yeah, I think his ability to impact this thing right away is one of the major storylines on how they do this year. Mellow percent. Absolutely. So that's, hey, we're six days, one hour, four minutes away. <laughs> Countdown's on. It's Nebraska versus Baylor down at Globe Life Field. Huskers will be taking on Baylor, Texas Tech, and Oklahoma next weekend. 
Husker baseball already here. Uh, one more segment here in hour one. We've got two hours today. We're with you till 11 o'clock. More to come here on the KLI and Husker Hour. Your local laws and regulations. Giving you a complete review of the Huskers news this week. This is the KLIN Husker Hour on Lincoln's Husker Radio, 1499.3 KLIN. Wrapping up just the first hour of the KLIN Husker Hour show today. We've got two hours to get to. Wrapping things up with Evan Bland, uh, baseball on that same topic, Will Bolt. Where do you think he's at in terms of... What he expects from this team and, and where the program expectations he's laying out are. What what is it? I mean, I think the base the bare the bare minimum make the Big Ten tournament, top eight out of yeah. the thirteen team league. They put as much, if not more, resources into baseball than anyone in the league. That's the bare minimum. I think you gotta be in that at large conversation in May. I think you gotta be playing meaningful baseball late in the season. Um you know, it's been two years since Nebraska's played June baseball. That's the longest stretch since yeah. they joined the Big Ten. So you, you got to get back to it. I think the staff changes they made will help in that regard. I do think they're a deeper team. I think the schedule lines up well uh, to where you, you know, if, if you have success, that's going to be enough. Evan Bland from the World Herald, thanks for the stuff on football and baseball. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All right, we've got another hour. We've got hoops. We've got Jacob Bigelow coming in, and we've got the Caitlin Clark experience coming up tomorrow at PBA. Lots more. Stay with us. Another hour of Husker Hour right after this. This is your Saturday morning source for everything Huskers. Turn, hand it off to Minner, hit the backfield and drilled. Again, 13's there to make the tackle. Nebraska wins its fifth national championship. Giving you an inside look at everything going on in Husker Nation, this is the KLIN Husker Hour. Right, three call, and the Huskers are the Big Ten Conference champions. That's it, got it, underdog, and then one. Exclamation point. Now your hosts, KLIN contributor Cole Stukenholz and KLIN reporter Matt McMaster. Continued good Saturday morning. It's hour two of the KLIN Husker Hour. (laughs) People are like, I want to be listening to something else. They're still on? The boss didn't kick us out yet. Heck, the boss actually came to join us. Here's Caleb Henry right now joining us for another hour. Yeah, we may may as well. And the reason for another hour is the, uh, the Pat Miller Show. We loved having him on. For uh, for the last several months, that show unfortunately they decided to uh, to shutter that. So there will be no more Pat Miller show. We've got an extra hour of Husker Hour right now. Al next week it'll run right up to the baseball pregame, and then we're uh, we're we're expecting to debut a new show in a couple of weeks for you guys here in this ten o'clock time slot. There you go. Nice little update. Thank you. We appreciate it. Hey. State of the Union right there from Mr. Caleb Henry, our fearless leader. <laughs> State of the station. State of the station. That's right. Hey, we've got a lot more to get to here in our number two. We touched on football and baseball pretty heavy with Evan Bland. Uh, we're going to get to a lot of hoops. Jacob Bigelow is going to join us here uh, a little bit later on in this second hour. We did not talk about Jordy Ball yet. Husker softball started their season on Thursday. They're down in Puerto Vallarta. Valorata. Valorata, Mexico. Valorata. Puerto, Puerto Vallarta. Puerto Vallarta. 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 I don't know. I'm, it's I'm, Vallarta. Is it? Yes. It's Vallarta. Is it's it Vallarta? Vallarta? It is. I'm Cuban. I'm not Mexican. So I wouldn't. It's Spanish. It's not the same. From, thought it's you were from Skokie. I am from Skokie. Anyway, so Husker softball. They start highly, highly anticipated season. 
the Jordy Ball transfer, new seats in Bolin Stadium, <laughs> unprecedented ticket demand, and then in the third inning of the season, Jordy Ball kind of goes down awkwardly on a pitch in the third inning, and she has to come out of the game. Nebraska loses to Washington. It, kind of the the subplot to this whole thing. Sure, uh, we we still don't know the extent of the injury. All we know at this point, Ronda Ravel said it is a knee, mm-hmm. and it's the the plant knee uh, on the on the pitch. So we we won't really know until they're back from Mexico how this will affect Jordy Ball long term, and 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 if she's able able to get back on the mound quickly, or if it is uh, the worst case scenario, maybe a long term thing. Well, that that impacts the. Severely, the ceiling of what this team is, because if you think about if you if you didn't add Jordy Ball in the transfer portal, you're you're not you're not preseason top twenty five. You're, you're not, not preseason top twenty where the, where they were. They were number eighteen, and then you look at what the opportunity that was going into this weekend with number seven Washington, number eleven Duke. Um, you you lose to both of those teams, salvage something by beating Long Beach State. Later on in the day yesterday, and then you've got Utah Valley coming up today. So you can still come out of this weekend two and two. But when you're looking at ceiling of this team for the season, for the 2024 campaign for the red team, with Jordy Ball, it's hosting a regional. Without Jordy Ball, it's potentially missing the postseason. Yeah. Like, like there, there, there's so much between there. And with Jordy Ball, you, you can potentially make a run to to a super regional, get a good matchup with her on the mound, get to a college, women's college world series. That's that's what lies in front of you with her. Now with it being a knee and it being on a plant leg, if you've done any type of of throwing position, anything at all. Think about a, a quarterback with that plant leg. Think about for me I'm thinking about javelin throwers. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's that plant leg coming down pitchers for both baseball and and softball that impacts so much of what you're doing. Now that's going to become not just a physical thing, but a mental thing. How does that knee feel? How do I feel confident going into those pitches? Is she out a week, two weeks? Is it a, is it a month? Because this is going to impact a lot of your non-conference at the very least. Yeah, and, and you do feel, at least from a, a coaching standpoint, you feel like you're in a good place with a veteran coach like Ronda Ravel, who's been through a lot of different situations in her tenure at Nebraska. This one is a little bit different. Like the, the star of stars comes to your program and, and immediately is out and you don't know the extent. So you, you do feel like you, you, you can rely on her leadership at this moment. Uh, but boy, a lot's riding on that diagnosis when they get back to, to town after this, uh, Puerto Vallarta I, I think the idea of this team, right, was you have a, a veteran team. You got a, a team that made the NCAA tournament last year, you know, and, and nearly won it or nearly got to a regional. Um, and the idea was, okay, well, you have a really good team and you're adding one of the best players in the country to it. And so they should be not just a good team, but a great team. And so now I think a lot, of, you got to think of it this way too. There were expectations not only on from us onto the team, but the team internally, right? They know that they're good. They know that they're veteran. They have a lot of veterans. They know that they have good players. They know that they just added one of the best players in the country to their team. And there's this expectation of like we can win the NCAA tournament. Like that. That is that is a thought in their head. And they come out here or come out in Mexico. They 
get their butts whooped by two of the better teams in the country, two teams that at least you should be competing against. I mean, 8-0 against Washington, 6-1 against Duke. That's not competing. And on top of it all, that player, Jordy Ball, that was supposed to make you elite, that was supposed to push you over to that next level, is now down. And you're kind of thinking, all right, like where do we go from here? So I think that th- this team is going to have to come together and and really rally around the fact that okay, we're not we're 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 a great team regardless of Jordy Ball being on this team because that's how they're going to get through this potential injury. I mean, we don't really know yet, but I do think it's good that they are kind of kicking the tires right now against Long Beach State, against Utah Valley next week. They got New Mexico State coming up. Like they're going to be able to play some teams for that that they should be beating. And to boost their confidence and to kind of get that going. So, yeah, you're kind of crossing your fingers that it's not a big thing. But I'll say this, leg injuries in any sport, especially baseball, are hard to get over. I mean, and especially to, like, even if Jordy Ball isn't 100%, I mean, it's and she's playing, it's still going to be difficult for her. And I think you kind of alluded to that, Caleb. Positive spin time, though. Gave it to me. Is that... With softball, when you have a pitcher that is your is your number one, they eat up a lot of innings. Yeah. yeah. So so what you have in front of you right now, and I'm this isn't going to be news to Ronda Ravel. She knows what she's doing. She's been she's been coaching in Nebraska longer than I've been alive. All right. <laughs> like and it, yeah, that's and a it, good point. It's not like I'm the youngest one in the <laughs> You're room. You're not even the youngest. Yeah, there you not go. Not even infamously young. There it so, is. So so. What you have in front of you is the potential to get so many more reps, live reps, innings pitched with other players. And then look at what Jordy Ball was doing this year that she didn't do at Oklahoma. She was hitting. And not just was she in the lineup. Was she hitting number eight, number nine? No, she was hitting number two. So there are so many more at-bat reps potentially sure. on hand for people to get. And then it, if you can get get through this injury and know what you have come postseason time, get Jordy Ball 100% healthy, whatever that diagnosis comes back, because we're still going to hope for the best, you're going to get a lot of reps and potentially give some people uh, a bit of development that they weren't otherwise going to get early on here. Yeah, yeah, and and you will have you know some people step up in the vacuum in that leadership vacuum if if ball misses any time, uh, and and that will be something to watch as as the Huskers continue, like you said, Utah Valley State to wrap up this tournament in Puerto Vallarta, and then they come home and, and we find out the extent. I'll say this though, they got murders row coming up. I they, mean, yeah. UCLA, yeah. Oregon, Utah, three Pac-12 teams. I guess UCLA and Oregon, you know, technically Big Ten teams. I guess they're still in the Pac-12 now. Yeah, but this we'll year, be, yeah, we'll, they, we'll yeah. Be future Big Ten, future Big Ten teams. But I mean, the Pac. 12 is is notorious for just the amount of softball and, and the high quality of softball. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, but uh, you're just hoping at this point that ball is 100% come Big Ten play because I think that's kind of the most important in, in, in the tipping scale of whether or not you're going to make the tournament the at-large bid or maybe making it through the Big Ten tournament. But uh, it, it, it'll, like we said before, kind of just waiting for that, I guess, yeah. MRI or, or whatever analysis will come up. Yeah. Uh, before we get to our first break of this second hour, uh, I, w- I want to hit on another uh, sport that we don't talk about as much, and it's Husker Wrestling. You have Michigan come to town yesterday. They killed it. And Michigan just beat Iowa mm-hmm. earlier this week, a huge upset. And now Nebraska faced them last night. It was a matchup of top 10 teams. The Big Ten, as you said, the Pac 12 for softball, the Big Ten notorious for success in wrestling. And the Huskers dominated. Not even Kill close. It. 
25 to 7, almost 5,000 fans over at Devaney, and Nebraska moves to 11 and 1 on the season. Uh, incredible performance for Mark Manning's crew, especially with Michigan coming off the high of that upset. And there, there were a lot of matches, uh, so individuals had to go in. The, the overall score ended up not being close, but yeah. a lot of individuals had to go into. You had some extra time, some mm-hmm. overtime. Um, you had a lot of those matches that were determined by one point, and, and it came down to guys just exerting their will at home. And we, we talk about the, the home court advantage you get, say, for like men's basketball, or, or, or regardless of what the sport is. Wrestling has that, too. And with all those fans on hand, senior day, it, it worked out really well for Nebraska to go close out Michigan and really put together a dominant performance. Well, talking about teams who beat Iowa, Nebraska's next match is going to be against probably the best team in the country, Penn State, Penn State. who killed Iowa yesterday after uh, Nebraska dominated Michigan. Penn State 29-6 to against number 3 Iowa. So all eyes will be on that, uh, you know, most definitely. And I was just impressed by, you know, they had a lot of upsets yesterday. I mean, and they had a lot of really good matches. And just we talk about growing the sport, right? And just growing kind of all these sports that may not get as much attention as football or baseball or basketball, these bigger sports. I mean, Nebraska wrestling has done wonders in doing that. They they put on an entertaining show yesterday. You know, Nash Hupmacher was one of those guys who, uh, you know, ended up not getting the victory, but, uh, you know, faced a, probably the best opponent he has, yeah. uh, you know, this entire time. And, you know, they'll be, it'll be an interesting stretch, but they're one of the best teams of the country. But at Penn State next Sunday, uh, three o'clock, that'll be a, a big, big match. And it'll be on the Big Ten Network, which is big. Yep. Yeah. So that's uh, that's what's ahead for wrestling. And hey, you you mentioned Iowa. The other law is another loss for Iowa wrestling. You you want to see Iowa reeling in any sport? How about women's basketball? Big big matchup tomorrow. Massive. We're going to talk about that. It's it's the Huskers and the Clark guys. Nebraska will be a <laughs> Nebraska will have a chance to take down uh, a top five team. Iowa's got the the superstar in the sport right now, and she is going for the all-time scoring record. Please, for the love of God, triple-team her. Do not let her get that record on the Pinnacle Bank Arena floor. Uh, it is going to be on uh, Big Fox tomorrow, yeah. too. That's uh, that's quite the spotlight for Amy Williams' crew. Massive. Uh, we're going to talk about that when we get back, and then later on in the hour, Jacob Bigelow with Nebraska basketball on the men's side. What do they have to do? with these last seven regular season games to get into the NCAA tournament. That is all coming up here on Hour 2 of the KLI and Husker Hour. Husker football, basketball, baseball, and beyond. This is the KLIN Husker Hour on 1499.3 KLIN. You may have heard of her. Caitlin Clark, she's a lightning rod. She scores a lot of points, almost the most points. I went to the uh, supermarket. Yeah, eggs were forty cents cheaper. It's Caitlin Clark effect. <laughs> At least so I've been told. At uh, least a couple, couple uh, Iowa riders tried telling me that goodness. you know chicken's a little bit cheaper because Caitlin Clark's in town. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You just that's start not, slapping Caitlin Clark that's stickers not around. Even, but, I did this. But here's the thing. It's not even, it's not her fault at all that no. I make that joke. No. She's incredible. She is a superstar. I don't know if she's better than Cheryl Miller, but she's like the greatest women's basketball, one of the greatest women's basketball players of all time. She has transcended 
the sport of women's basketball, in particularly women's college basketball. Everywhere she goes is a sellout. And this year in the NCAA tournament, they're going to get record views and they're going to get record numbers. And she's going to be the talk of what's Iowa doing. Everyone's going to tune into Iowa games like the when they play the 16 seed and when they play an 8 seed. I mean, it's they're going to be eyes glued to the TV because of her. And so mm-hmm. I admire that so much because you know what I love I love respecting greatness and she is greatness I mean she is that yeah yeah at the same time it's just easy to make those jokes because God these Iowa writers I mean they just keep they just keep talking about the Caitlin Clark effect the Caitlin Clark effect just I'm to, like, just to clarify it. it's it. not Caitlin Clark's credit that Nebraska volleyball sold so many tickets it's not I cannot Caitlin, believe that was written it's not, it's not it's not Caitlin Clark's job to to rise uh, every every other women's sport those are those are doing fine on their own thank you Caitlin yeah. Clark is yeah. is a piece of the pie but and an the, important the, one when she whenever she goes somewhere obviously it's it is the case Caitlin Clark effect that Nebraska's women's volleyball game tomorrow, the get in price is like two or three hundred dollars, and the get in price for the next game is like ten bucks. That is a Caitlin Clark effect for mm-hmm. Iowa basketball traveling yes. around. Yes, end of story. That's it. But yeah, like you said, she's really, really good. Obviously, she's incredible. And but and, I hate, I hate that she gets roped because I make yeah. that joke, and I hate that I made that joke, and I hate but that you laughed at it. But that's a joke at Scott Doctorman's expense, exactly. not Caitlin Clark's not Caitlin expense. Clark. But I, but yes. I don't like how she gets roped I, into I that because if anything, we shouldn't be making those jokes. We should be talking about how great she is. Yeah. But it's like you know, I just I don't know. I as a member of the media, that's you know the the kind of thing that that happens that y- you may not like. But regardless, yeah. look. Tomorrow, let's let's talk about this from a X's and O's basketball standpoint. Yeah. It is without a doubt the most important game of Nebraska basketball season. Mm-hmm. They are firmly on the bubble of the NCAA tournament because they lost to Rutgers at home. Unbelievable. If they had, thank God they won that Michigan game for their sake because they'd probably be off the bubble in the wrong way if they did. Could be. And so now they haven't had a big win. Call spade a spade. They've they've they played you know some decent teams. Maryland is probably their best win. Probably their best win. They beat them at home. Yep. And, and like you know they're they're six and seven in the conference. They need it. They need it. Yep. They I mean so they play. Let's let's kind of go or wait. Am I looking? I'm looking at the wrong schedule here. But do you, look, do you need me? To, okay. All right. I got it. All right. They play them tomorrow. Yes. They win tomorrow. See, they're not six. I knew they weren't six and seven. I always do that. They're seven and five in conference. Seven and five in the conference. If they win tomorrow, and I always say this, no such thing as being locked in in March and February, but they they practically are. And then they play Ohio State, who's another good team. Then they're at Purdue. Northwestern, they should win that game. They should beat Minnesota. And then they play at Illinois. That'll be a bit of a challenge. Tomorrow is their last chance for their big win. Their last opportunity to really get, we always talk, the signature win. Where's your signature win? Okay? They have all of the other preceding wins around it, right? They have all the other, everything of their resume is built perfectly other than that signature win. If there was ever a time, if there was ever a moment, if there was ever an opportunity, it's when the most popular 
and and probably greatest women's basketball player walks onto your court with the second best team in the country and you're playing in front of a crowd that probably none of these women will ever play in front of again in their entire careers. Yep. That's not hyperbole. They're in more than likely in the rest of all of those girls' careers, women's careers. They will never play in front of 17,000 fans, 15,000 fans ever again. That's not an insult. That's facts. That is just a fact of life. That's just how it is. They will never have a better moment to solidify their bid in the NCAA tournament. So you know what? Go out and take it. Go out and take it. Play like you got nothing to lose. Because do you know what they have to lose? Nothing. Nothing. I think, God, they yeah. should put me in the locker room before the game. Yeah, you know absolutely. I mean? Let's let's do it. Uh, I'll call Amy Williams right now. I will. So, I mean, it's a fact. Yeah. No, no, you're right. And, and got to take it. Here's here's how they take it, right? Here's how they take Obviously, you know what you need to do defensively. Caitlin Clark, she is the sun. Everything revolves around her with, with Iowa having the ball. When you have the opportunity to rebound... Alexis Markowski needs to do Alexis Markowski things. Last three games, and she leads the Big Ten in double-doubles this season. She's one of the top rebounders in the country. She has gotten just single-digit rebounds, three games running. When you are when you have the ball and you're trying to score, Jazz Shelley, obviously the other superstar for Nebraska of uh, women's basketball, just 10, 11, and 10 points in the last three games. You need more point production from Jazz Shelley, and you need to get the rebounds when you are uh, given the opportunity to, offensively or defensively, if you're Alexis Markowski. You have to take possessions away from Iowa. You have to limit their possessions so that you limit Caitlin Clark's opportunities to get hot, to get on a run, to start uh, start getting that ball rolling. You don't want to let her have second-chance opportunities and you want to give yourself as many second-chance opportunities as you can. So if Iowa's star is going to be a star tomorrow, Nebraska's stars have to be stars too. We've talked about it. It's it's a very different setup between the men and the women where the men, you can really have any guys kind of lead the way or go off any night. The women, it's, it's Shelly and Markowski. It just is. If those two play well, if they play up to their potential, Nebraska's got a shot at the upset. I, it can't be a game. Where Jazz Shelley takes five shots. Yeah. Cannot be a game. Cannot be a game where she takes five shots. It cannot be a game. She took just eight against Michigan. She was four for eight from the field, ten points. It can't be a game where Alexis Markowski scores 11 points in the first quarter, and then she ends up with 13 points. Which was Rutgers. For the rest of the game. And she's done that. Plenty of other, I think two or three other times this year. I think yeah. Wisconsin was the same one where she scored four, 10, 14 points, something like that in the first quarter, and then she didn't score a lot for the rest of the game. Yep. This has got to be a game where they both are at the top and yep. they both are producing. And it, it, it just, I don't want to, I'm not trying to be rude, okay? But if you're going to beat this team, it's not going to be because Jessica Petrie has 18 points. It's not going to be be because yeah. you know Cal and Hake went off and, and hit five threes, six threes. You're going to win this game because your superstars are going to step up, and I think that Natalie Potts has done a great job, you know, in that supporting role. Mm-hmm. But at some point, there's got to be something to support, right? Right. And so they got to step up and they got to do it. Big time players win big time games. Yep. Done. Yeah. Period. End of story. And so, yeah. 
if they're going to win, does do you need that Kendall Moriarty three? Do you need that Kendall Coley three? Do you need that Annika Stewart three? Do you need that type of support around them? Absolutely. That's mm-hmm. how you win any game, yeah. regardless of who you're playing. Right. But bottom line, stars got to be stars. Are they going to be as good as Caitlin Clark? No. But I'll I'll say this. It's a great quote from my favorite movie. We can recreate them. We can recreate them in the aggregate. Okay? Yep. You can recreate Caitlin Clark in the aggregate. Just do it with two players. Do, yep. do just do it that way, you know? Yep. And so what you going to match your production straight up? Is Jazz Shelley going to play as good as Caitlin Clark? Probably not. No. But if you can I think more importantly, contain the other players around her, which they are good players. I think a lot of people lose what people kind of lose in this Caitlin Clark fiasco or fiesta rather, rather, is that Iowa around her is a good team. And so you got to worry about everyone else as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. They've, they've got other skill, posi- uh, skill position. They've got other uh, role players to step up to. But yeah, I like what you said. You got to have that big shot when, when Logan Nisley or Kendall Moriarty, when they get that chance, they've got to take it. But you have to have the production. You have from to. Shelley and Markowski. There's no way to. around it. I don't. I don't see a path for them to victory. There is no it. way. There is no way they win tomorrow if one of those players doesn't get twenty. There's no way. Yep. Done. Yeah, hundred percent. You will be able to listen to that right here on uh, the Broadcast House Network. It's over at B one hundred seven point three. Pre-game coverage will be at eleven thirty. And that game will start at noon. Uh, it is on Big Fox, so you can watch it there, but turn down the volume on the TV and turn up the radio with Matt Coatney and Jeff Grish. All right, when we come back, we're going to get to Husker Men's Hoops. Jacob Bigelow, Huskers Illustrated, and the Stretch Big Pod. Uh, he's going to join us for a couple segments. It is, the, it is the home stretch for Nebraska men. What do they have to do to get that NCAA tournament bid? We will talk about that. With Jacob and maybe a little bit of a maybe a little bit of a, a Chiefs take on Super Bowl. Oh, weekend, we have too. to. No, I oh, mean yeah. that's oh, I yeah. mean that's going to be the last segment. Oh yeah, is our, our final Super Bowl talk. So all right, Bigelow coming up after this here on the KLI and Husker Hour. Talking with current and former Huskers and those that cover the Big Red. This is the KLIN Husker Hour on Lincoln's Husker Radio, fourteen hundred and ninety nine three KLIN. All right, we talked football and baseball with Evan Bland. We've we've hit on softball. Let's count the sports. We did football one, wrestling. baseball two, wrestling three, softball four. We just talked Caitlin Clark and women's hoops. Five. Yeah? Number yeah. six. Here we go. Let's get into it. We've got Nebraska ball, the men's game. They're in action today. And uh, who better to bring on than our friend Jacob Bigelow? He writes for Huskers Illustrated. He's got the Stretch Big podcast with Jacob Bigelow. And he joins us now on Hour 2 of the KLI and Husker Hour. Hey-o. Good morning, Jacob. How are we? Good morning, gentlemen. I'm doing well. It's a it's a Super Bowl weekend too. I know uh, us fellow Chiefs fans. We've got to we've got to you know stiff arm the haters and and just enjoy the ride. How are we feeling about tomorrow? Feeling good, man. Feeling good. Um, I'm you know I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm just trying to enjoy the ride. At the very least, I know I'm going to be eating some good food with my family and we'll see how the football game goes. Jacob, you read my mind. That was my next. That was my first question. <laughs> What's the spread? Give it to me. What are we cooking up? What are we having? I know that last year it was a pork shoulder that, that was on, that was smoking up. What are we doing? What are we doing this year? We got, we got some beef ribs. Hell yeah. Today. We have some beef ribs getting smoked today. 
Uh, we got some wings in the hopper as well. Um, I, I ordered some shrimp yeah. and some cocktail sauce yesterday. We had all sorts of different stuff, a good variety in the spread this year. Jacob, I, I don't know about you. During the Chiefs playoff games, I can't eat. <laughs> I cannot eat food during the I, – I just can't do it. I have to wait until the thing is over before I can – are you able to put food down during the game? I don't know what your uh, what your game day experience is like. Uh, it depends. Um, some of them, I mean, I, I was able to eat during the Dolphins game and the Ravens game. That Buffalo game, I was kind of just on it. Yeah. It kind of depends. It kind of depends. Um, but yeah, most of the time, most of the time, I'm kind of right there with you. But special occasions call for um, a bunch of different uh, yeah. good food. So. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I'm I'm glad it's still there when the game's over. I mean, it's we it, plenty is made. Nothing's gone. Hopefully, but but yeah, I I gotta I gotta wait. I, I just can't do it. I I probably eat too much when I watch. Well, I mean, yeah. that's just kind of how I describe. But to be fair, I root for a uh, religiously seven and ten football team. So mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I mean, that's just kind of how it works. We'll we'll get your pick for the game uh, a little bit later on in the hour, Jacob. But let's get to uh, the topic at hand, and that's Husker hoops. Uh, Sixteen and eight overall. Six and seven. In the Big Ten, seven games left. You've got four at home, and you got three on the road. That goes with the six and seven record. You know exactly what you're getting. What What do they need to do to get in the tournament? What is your What is your opinion? I think they got to win five. I think they got to win five of the next seven, um, which would mean holding serve at home, protecting home court in these final these final four, and then uh, stealing one on the road. Um, you know whether that be. Uh, at Assembly Hall uh, in Columbus against Ohio State, or against the same Michigan team they play today uh, on the last day of the regular season, they got to get at least one of those. I think five. I think five would get you to would get you to twenty one overall. Would get you to eleven and nine in the league, and then you'd go to Minneapolis in a pretty good spot. And if you're able to get one up there, that would just be a cherry on top, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I had 21 and 10 probably in. I think 22 and 9, you're definitely in. And if they only win those four at home, if they just go 10 and 10 and split them uh, home road, I think you have to get one, and in Minneapolis, maybe two, just to prove that you can win away from PBA. I would agree. I would. I would tend to agree with that. Um, I think the, you know, I think regardless. I think we're yeah. I think regardless. You know, four. I think four four is not going to be enough. I think you know getting to twenty. I think you're probably you're probably really nervous going into Selection Sunday, and you know it depends on how the rest of you know the bubble looks. You're you're definitely rooting for no uh, bid stealers in any uh, conference tournaments. You know you're 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 uh, you're pretty stressed out if you're a Husker basketball fan or someone in the program if you're only finished with twenty wins. And I think you got to get. Above, at least at least one above twenty to you know start feeling good about your chances. Jacob, we love Husker Twitter, don't we? Um, I think a lot of people are kind of freaking out about okay, no no Big Ten road wins, no Big Ten road wins. Even if we get to twenty one, even if we get you know the the wins that we get, that the committee isn't going to like the fact that they that we haven't won or Nebraska hasn't won a road game in the Big Ten. Here's my question for you. If they win one road game, does that go away? You know, like if they just like if they just get if they go one if they win one road game on the road or one game on the road, is that like a a thing that people shouldn't worry about? Because I feel like even if you just win one road, it's like still kind of a concern. No. 
Well, it, it is, but I mean, obviously, you know, the precedent for selection, you know, changes year to year. But Maryland made the NCAA tournament last year. They're in an eight-nine game, and I believe they only had one Big Ten. Run. Okay. Um, so that is kind of the. I was that was brought up to me this past week. I need to double check that. But yeah, they were in the eight. They were in an eight-nine game. Um, I think they them in West Virginia had an eight-nine game last year, and I think Maryland only had one road win in the league. Uh, so I mean, it's just kind of you know obviously. Anything's better than zero, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, anything, anything's better than zero. Um, you know, they have that Kansas State, you know, win out of conference, which is you know not bad to have on the resume. But you know, obviously, you you still not want to see a goose egg in the road win column and big time play. Want to get to, to some of the on court matchups and, and and players to watch here for for the stretch run too but but one more thing on resumes it's not just Nebraska that's struggling on the road and I mentioned this this was something I saw last week it was top 10 teams this season now this is a week old now so the stats probably not exact but top 10 teams this year were 25 and 30 versus unranked opponents on the road which is actually 16 and a half points lower than the all-time worst win percentage for top 10 teams against unranked opponents on the road. Just to illustrate, it's a, it's a historically tough season to win on the road, and that extends to a lot of other bubble teams, right? A lot of the teams that Nebraska's jockeying for, resume-wise and seed-wise, they're looking at similarly bad road records, right? It's pretty, yeah, pretty similar, yeah. There are some teams that only have one or two wins on the road. Um, I mean, even, you know, this isn't a bubble team that I'm referring to, but even, like, you know, this is you know close proximity. Look at Kansas's record on the road. You know, they've gone on the road in the Big Twelve, which is you know probably the toughest conference in basketball. But they have road losses to Central Florida and West Virginia, and they just went to K State and lost. And they're still a proverbial you know top ten team who people will be picking to make a deep run in March. I mean, it's just kind of you know it, it is a historically you know, tough year. So you know they've. Fred Hoiberg isn't the only coach in basketball who's trying to figure out how to win on the road. There are plenty yeah. of other coaches around America who are figuring out, you know, is, is it our routine? Is it what we do at the hotel? Is it, you know, what time we wake up? Like trying to figure out, you know, trying to find that the recipe to write the, write the ship on the road. Well, one one quick thing, by the way, I think some people are like, why didn't they stay in Illinois? Why didn't they stay? Why did they go back to Nebraska? I think, you know, just just a little reminder here. It's a quick flight. All right. If you're taking a charter plane from Chicago, from O'Hare over to Lincoln, probably taking an hour. OK, so I think a lot of people on Twitter were kind of like, well, they should have stayed in Illinois. Would it? They ain't going to the East Coast. They're in the same time zone. You know, I'm sorry. That's, that really doesn't have anything to do with our interview here, Jacob. It's just me <laughs> trying to get something off my chest. But I'm just saying. Like for people who are having that problem, it's a quick flight. It's a quick flight. Really, that flight to Chicago for two to Lincoln from Chicago, it's an hour and a half. Most of it's taxing. Okay, so like you're really only in the air for an hour. Just real quick. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, and it's not like Nebraska is uh, going through the TSA line. No. To get on the get on no. the plane and, and fly to fly to O'Hare or Midway. Um, they 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 just walk. They just drive the bus over to over to the Lincoln Airport. Get on the bus. Get on the plane and go. And go. I just, there's just way too much conversation about staying like they were playing in London. All right. I mean, it's not <laughs> like they weren't playing in a different. They were they were fine. All right. I just I just oh, it frustrated me so much. Well, 
and so let's let's get to it. So obviously Nebraska is over in the Big Ten on the road. Uh, that being said, they had probably their best forty plus minute Big Ten performance outside of Purdue and the best one on the road this season against Illinois. They almost won that game in Champaign, 45 minutes, took him to the wire. What about that performance, Jacob, uh, is portable for this team, and, and why haven't we seen it elsewhere? Is it is it just effort? Is it is it X's and O's? What do you think? I think it's a lot about the effort. I mean, they played really, really hard. Um, you know, that matchup, that matchup against Illinois, one through five, I mean, that definitely... Had, you know, I've had plenty of people worried just based on the athleticism and some of the pieces Illinois has. But I mean, Nebraska hung in there. They played, they played hard for, you know, they played, I mean, they played hard. They showed that resiliency that we've talked about, you know, with this team, you know, fighting back, you know, down 10 with a couple minutes to go to force overtime and then just, you know, a couple, couple interesting whistles, a couple bad, you know, <laughs> bad bounces don't go your way. And unfortunately, you're, you know, coming home with another loss. But, you know, that, that's that's when we've seen this team at its best is when they are, I mean, and, you know, that's what part of what makes their margin for error so thin is they have to play so hard. <laughs> like, they have to exert so much, and we've seen it. We saw it for in that Purdue, yeah, like you said, in that Purdue and Illinois game, they just played their butts off, and it, they one game that was signature win of the season, and another game was a heartbreaking loss. That's just that's just that's just the nature of college basketball. Unfortunately, it's sometimes you know the ball bounces your way, and sometimes it doesn't. No matter how hard you play. Real quick, do you think we're going to see more of this Jawan Gary in the starting lineup, or was that kind of a one-off with Northwestern? You think? Uh, I think it may end up being a one-off. Okay. Um, they they looked at the first game against Northwestern, and they saw that the that how their advantage on the boards was what kind of propelled them to that victory the first time. Um, I mean, they turned the ball over the same amount of times they did, you know, as they did in the game in Lincoln. And we saw just the difference of, you know, when, when the rebounds slip and the turnovers yeah. are still there, how ugly it could get. And I think they want, tried to put an emphasis on, on the boards by starting, you know, Gary, Alec, and Mass together. And it just did not uh, work as planned. It's, I'm going to tell you right now, the Matt Nicholson experience over at Northwestern and my, my dad kid, it's feast or famine. That guy grabs every board or he grabs no boards. It's 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 incredible. And unfortunately for Nebraska, they they caught a game where he grabbed every board that was in sight. And I mean that's kind of you know, that was the big reason what they why they lost. But you know, North Northwestern, I've never seen have you ever seen a team capitalize off of turnovers the way that they did? I mean, twenty six points off of turnovers is insane. Yeah, no, they were they were they were very precise with everything they did in that game, and I, I give credit to Chris Collins. You know, he he is he's moving up in my Big Ten you know coach power rankings more and more. Whether it's his how he was in that Purdue when he got ejected, or just <laughs> just adjusting his game plan. Yeah, to, you know, you know, you know the corny you know cliche of it's hard to beat the same team twice, but you know they. Everything that North that Northwestern did wrong in their the first game against Nebraska at Lincoln, they flipped it and they did it right, and that's what led to the, you know that's what led to that result. Also, also, too, just for everyone at home, the Northwestern Wildcats turn into the '96 Bulls when they play at Welsh Ryan Arena. So that's you know unless they're playing Chicago State, unless they're playing Chicago State, yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
Hey, Michael Jordan didn't win all of them. He I mean, didn't win all of them. Yeah. No, I don't think he ever lost to Chicago State. But yeah, he didn't win all of them. No, no, no. Just, you, you gotta, you know, you gotta balance it out a little bit. The Chicago State thing just make things interesting for him. Sure. Hey, uh, let's uh, let's do this. Let's take a break. We're gonna come back and uh, dig into more of what we expect to see from the roster, from the players on the floor, and Fred Hoiberg's plan for the stretch run here as well. That's all coming up here on the KLI and Husker Hour. It's a party, it's a party, it's a party. Your Saturday morning source for everything Huskers is right here. You're listening to the KLIN Husker Hour on Lincoln's Husker Radio, 1499.3 KLIN. More with Jacob Bigelow here as we're in our second hour of the KLIN Husker Hour. Supersized show for Super Bowl Sunday. We'll get Jacob's picks for the big game uh, in just a little bit as well. Jacob, with what we've got on the floor for Nebraska, you've got three players Averaging between 13 and 14 points. Rink Mass, Casey Tomanaga, Bryce Williams, Juwan Gary, and CJ Wilcher have had their moments. Is it so I'll give I'll give a Chiefs analogy since we're both Chiefs fans. This this the offense really started taking off when they pared down the playbook and they just kind of narrowed it down to a few guys. Right? You focused on Rice, Pacheco, and Kelsey, and then the offense has kind of eliminated mistakes. Does does Fred Hoiberg need to do that in order to get more consistent play? Or is it a matter of no? You do need contributions from everybody at different times, and and you do start to you still need to kind of experiment a little bit with lineups in the first half, and then ride the hot hands in the second half. What do you think of of how the the pieces have been put on the board uh, in terms of the the lineups Hoiberg's rolling out there? I think it's probably matchup dependent, like down the stretch, because I think we've seen at times like when when it, when it when it. I mean, that Illinois game is a perfect example. You know, obviously it was good to see Kese get off the schneid and have a you know new career high. But when no one else really had it going, I know Rank Mast ended up with 20-plus points, but he took 18 shots, so it wasn't really efficient. You know, it just kind of becomes a balancing act. Like, if, so, if one guy's on a heater, you know, you got to, like, you're searching for, you know, some help. And I think it's better, you know, when they have, you know, the, the all hands on deck approach and you know you're obviously you know playing a numbers game hoping that multiple guys have it going on the same day but i think we've seen they have you know multiple multiple ways to attack you multiple ways you know multiple guys who can go get theirs and i think it you know maybe they need to run more set plays you know to get open looks for case maybe they need to you know have rink mass you know initiate more offense but i think you know it's They've they've got you know multiple guys who are more than capable of dropping twenty plus and you know helping you win a game. So I think it you know it'll be probably pretty matchup dependent. But I think if you're gonna you know pare the playbook down, I think you got to start running more set plays for for uh, for Kase. Help the man out. Set a screen for him. Get him an open shot. <laughs> set a screen for my guy. Come on. Real real quick, Jacob. What's got to change? Okay, like what's what's the number one thing you think this team isn't performing at? And I, you kind of got. I'm going to give you the spread platter here. You got a lot to pick from, but what what what's the number one thing that's got to change if this team is going to get their foot in the door in the NCAA tournament? I think it's got to be on the defensive end. And I know people are thinking, well, who's someone's going to make a shot? But I think you know we heard. We heard Fred at the beginning of the year repeatedly say that he wanted defense to be this team's constant, and that has been as about as far from the truth yeah. as you could possibly imagine so far this year. But when this team has played their best and they've had these, you know, these big games, these memorable wins, 
Their defensive intensity has been turned up to 11. They've been flying around on rotations. You know, they're still sticking with the, you know, double the base, trap the baseline, double the middle, and scramble, you know, I call it the scramble drill, the scramble drill defense. Yeah. And they've rarely, you know, gone away from that, even when it, you know, has created some one-on-one mismatches. We saw some of those in the Northwestern game. I'm not going to call out players. I'm sure. very pro player. Sure. But um, there, you know, it's I, I, I'm interested to see, you know, what, if they have other, you know, and once again, matchup dependent, you know, other ways, you know, to defend. We've seen them go to what look, looks like zone looks, you know, occasionally. You know, but we also saw, you know, they – they made the Northwestern game look a little more respectable on the scoreboard when they went to pressure and they went to full, you yeah. know, full court press. And you know, I'm not saying to be Bob Huggins, West Virginia, <laughs> be pressing for 40 minutes, but you know, throw a throw a curveball. You know, sure. say, oh, don't be afraid to change it up on D. And you know, we've seen we've seen the pressure now play a part in you know two. You know, they didn't come back all the way against Northwestern, but they made it look more respectful. And then it also was big down the stretch at Illinois. So maybe maybe throw some more pressure out there. I think for me, though, it's weird. It's like this team needs to go down by like 10 or 15 in a game at some point to like feel something. You know what I'm saying? Like in order for them to get that intensity and, and get that defensive intensity and get to the point where it's like, wow, like they're, they're playing great defense. They have to be down and like making a comeback. Is that, is that just me or do you think, I mean, like, is, okay. do you think there's a bit of a lack of motivation maybe on the defensive end until it's yeah, like, all right, yeah. we got to play defense to win? Like, is, is, I don't know. What am I seeing? Yeah. I don't know about motivation, but yeah, it does feel like, you know, Purdue is kind of the only game where they sure. threw the first punch. Uh, feels like in every other game, they got punched first. <laughs> and, yeah. then they, and then it was how they, how they responded to it, which, you know, that's been a, that's also been a Fred Hoiberg talking point for a couple years is, you know, adversity and throwing the punch and responding to getting punched and all that. But yeah, I think the Purdue game is probably the only example of when they, they were the aggressor right out of the gate yeah. and threw the first punch. Every other one, it's been them either battling back or them just getting punched and getting punched some more. Jacob Bigelow from the Stretch Big Podcast and Huskers Illustrated joining us here, uh, wrapping up some Nebraska ball talk before we get our Super Bowl picks uh, here to wrap up the show. Uh, Jacob, with Michigan coming to town today, they are coming off of a big upset against Wisconsin. Is that a blip on the radar, or should Nebraska be concerned about some of the things that the Wolverines will bring today? Uh, Nebraska can, should be a little concerned. Um, Michigan's got some, you know, they've got some size. Um, the, uh, their their best player is still serving a road games only suspension, so he will not be playing today. But uh, the rest of their, you know, better players are bigger guys, you know, forwards who will try to get to the basket and you know play in, you know play inside. Um, they are god awful on defense, so there may be a ton of points uh, scored today. But, you know, I think they may have to worry, you know, about, once again, rebounds um, and defending the paint and, you know, playing inside. Because guys like Olivier Kamwa, Terrace Reed, um, they're going to they're gonna be playing through the paint plenty. Yeah, and, and I, the way that Nebraska plays, I, I heard this on the, uh, the World Herald's uh, Pick 6 podcast. Tom Chattel said, Nebraska basketball is just too inconsistent. And I thought to myself, 
they're almost as consistent as the days long. They win on their at home and they lose on the road. Like <laughs> I don't know what to say about the consistency factor, but it seems like they they find a way to win at home and they find a way to lose on the road. Is it that simple, or, or is it just? I I don't I think they can get one of these last three because the matchups and and just the way that those teams you, are trending. Yeah, you think, but is it is it as simple as Nebraska just finds a way at home with the with the the home crowd energy and they just don't do the same when they don't have that available to them on the road? I mean, that's what it looks like at first glance. I mean, they are definitely an energy team that feeds off of, you know, the energy being behind them. Um, you know, they, they, you know, they've shown, and it's not just Kese Tomonaga, but I mean, they got, they, they're guys who, they feed off the crowd, the crowd feeds off of them, and they're, they, you know, they've, that has propelled them a lot this year. And I, you know, I agree with you, you know, these three, these three road games they've got left are against teams that are all trending not in the right direction. You know, three teams where fan bases have apathy has set in and there are questions being asked about the head coaches and they'll be probably you know, not not as you know, not as big time of atmospheres as we saw in Champaign or even at Welsh Ryan the other night. So, you know, I think they have it in them to get at least one of the three and you know maybe they maybe they shock us all and win more than one on the road, but it all starts with holding serve at Pinnacle Bank Arena. All right, good stuff as always from Jacob Bigelow on hoops. Jacob, we're going to keep you around one more segment to get your Super Bowl picks. We are looking at Chiefs 49ers tomorrow. Kansas City going for the unquestioned dynasty, even though they're probably already there now. We can we can get into that and, oh and who my we God. Give me who we break. expect to Give step up. Give me a break. Who we expect to step up on He's Super won Bowl two Sunday? Super Bowls in in like five years. They've been to dynasty. six AFC Championship games. All right, and all four right. Super get to Bowls. break. Let's get to break. Let's get to. Break. I was trying to. Let's, Mr. Bear, Matt McMaster over there. I'm Cole Stukenholtz. Wrapping this thing up right after this on KLI and Husker Hour. Giving you an inside look at everything Huskers. This is the KLIN Husker Hour on 1499.3 KLIN. All right, before our Super Bowl picks, let me get you set for the Husker weekend. Uh, Husker softball is in action right now. Down at Puerto Vallarta, Sydney Gray has an RBI. Nebraska leads Utah Valley State one to nothing early on in that one. Sarah Harness uh, in the circle for Nebraska softball. Best wishes, of course, to Jordy Ball, and hopefully that diagnosis is not long term. Uh, women's hoops, obviously, big matchup with Caitlin Clark in Iowa tomorrow. It is a noon tip off on B one hundred seven point three. You can catch pregame at eleven thirty, uh, and then the Husker men. Are in action today. That one is uh, is that five thirty? Yes, yeah, five thirty. So yes. you can catch pregame right here on KLIN, starting at four thirty with KP and Jake. Uh, also, hey, uh, men's and women's gymnastics in action today. The men with Michigan and women at Maryland both on the road, uh, and then uh, baseball starts next Friday down in Texas. All right, it is Super Bowl fifty eight, the Derek Thomas Super Bowl. Jacob Bigelow. Let's get to you first, the the guest of the hour and uh, noted Chiefs fan within Nebraska media. It's, I think it's you, me, and Gary Sharp. Is that is that it that you know of? Yeah, that's about. Uh, I think we're the most vocal of the bunch. Yeah, that's oh, for yeah. sure. We're definitely definitely the most vocal of the bunch. There, there may be some others hidden amongst us, but I don't think they're nearly <laughs> nearly as vocal. It's like they're uh, Jedi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there there is another. No, they're, they're, they're out there. They're out there. Somewhere. 
<laughs> All right, we got we got about uh, thirty seconds for you. Get your pick yeah. and your MVP. Uh, I will take the. I will say the Chiefs get her done, twenty eight twenty one, and I think Mr. Mahomes is your MVP because unfortunately it's a quarterback award, but he's the best quarterback out there. Go, so my pick. Cole, go. All right, I got Kansas City twenty seven, San Francisco seventeen. Wow. And I think Travis Kelsey catches two touchdowns, and he is your Super Bowl MVP, capping an incredible year for the Big Yeti. I think a lot of people have been waiting for my pick. I like to think that. <laughs> I You certainly have been waiting. I don't do a lot. I don't do anything I'm not good at, okay? I yeah. stick to things that I am good at. And one of those things is gambling. I am not good at gambling. My dad often says to me, Matt, I'm a little worried about the gambling and the culture. Dad, I don't do it because I'm terrible at it. I'm not a good gambler. bets off, Matt. I am not good at that. And so I am concerned because I am so confident that the Kansas City Chiefs are going to win tomorrow. I am incredibly confident. Yeah. The the San Francisco 49er defense, I think, is overhyped. They have not been good to end the season. They struggled against Detroit. They struggled against Green Bay. They won two games that they probably shouldn't have won, but they won it because they have superstars. But they are playing a team tomorrow that has the biggest superstar in the NFL and a defense that has been one of the best defenses in the NFL, period, end of story. Okay, Patrick Mahomes played two defenses better than that, arguably better, and beat them both. I don't understand your scores because tomorrow will not be a 28-21 to game. It will not be a 27-17 to game. The Kansas City Chiefs tomorrow are going to win 17-10. to Same as the Ravens game. 17-10. to I think it will be low scoring, and at the end of the day, Mahomes gets it done because you know what? That's what he does. There it is. Jacob Bigelow, we appreciate it. Thank you, my man. We'll talk later. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Fun time, like always. Thanks. All right, there he goes, Jacob Bigelow. Stretch Big Pod and Huskers Illustrated. Yeah, that's a great show. Thanks to Jacob. Thanks to Caleb Henry for stopping in. Thanks to Evan Bland, who was here in hour one. great show we had. That was fun. Covered a lot. Hey, when it comes down to it, coach, quarterback, defense, all on Kansas City side. Absolutely. All right, that's it. Go Chiefs and go Big Red.